Praise God. Praise God. And the backstory behind that, Joe told me two Sundays ago, he said, Pastor, I want to be the first one baptized in that new baptistry over there. And <laughs> we may just keep getting different baptistries and baptizing Joe in different baptistries. But to his point, when the Spirit speaks, we're not going to wait till a new baptistry. What, what, here's water. What hinders us right now? Let's go to Acts 8. Hope you have your Bible. If you do, you can look with us. If not, we're going to put it on the screen so you can see where I'm preaching from today. I'll give you a little background behind this passage, and I will just give you a sneak peek into something before I start preaching. This is actually, you know, I guess you shouldn't say this is your favorite Bible passage because it should all be powerful in your life, but this is one of my favorites. That's how I'll get away with this. This is one of my favorite Bible passages that I'm preaching from today. And in the book of Acts chapter 6, the work of God had grown so considerably that there were people being neglected in ministry. And so the Bible says that the leaders prayed and they sought the Lord and they said, let's choose men among us whom we can appoint to help us with the administration of this growing church. They did. One of the men that was appointed was a man by the name of Stephen. And we see in Acts 6 and then also in Acts 7 that Stephen had some boldness in him. Uh, good old-fashioned gumption was inside of Stephen. And he preached, and he preached about this one called Jesus. And while he was preaching, not only did people hear him that were receptive to that message, but he stirred the religious elite up. So much so that they picked up stones and they stoned him to death. He became a martyr. Stephen the martyr, one of the early servant leaders in the church, was martyred for his faith. And the scripture says at the end of chapter 7 that while they were casting the stones, the witnesses laid down their clothes or their coats. They took off their coats in order to do the stoning. And they laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now look at verse, chapter 8 and verse 1. Now Saul was consenting to his death. Whose death? Stephen's death. He was there. He was a part of it. He was supporting this. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Look at verse number three. And Saul, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Do you get the picture here? He is a man on a mission to stamp out this church, these people professing allegiance to this man named Jesus. Look down at verse number 9, and I will read the first two verses, actually first three verses. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, that's the name given to this early church, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. It's the third verse that I want to direct you to, and it's where I'll lift my subject today. As he journeyed, 
he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Now, I'm going to read several more verses in this message today, but it's from the third verse that I want to pick my title. And I'm just picking four words, and here's my title. As he journeyed, suddenly. As he journeyed, suddenly. Do you see those words in that verse right there? As he journeyed, suddenly. Would you say that with me? As he journeyed, suddenly. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Thank you for following along uh, in your Bible and helping me preach. I need an amen corner today. Good. There it is. There it is. It really is one of my favorite passages because there is so much embedded in just one New Testament story. It has characters whom we will then hear from the rest of the New Testament. I want to stop here long enough at the very outset of this message to tell this great congregation on this Sunday morning, I look at Acts chapter 9, I actually look at Acts 6, 7, 8, and 9 as a big hinge for the rest of the New Testament. Now here's what I mean by that. If you go from the book of Acts, you will find the book of Romans. Romans was written by Paul. When you leave Romans, you will find the book of First and Second Corinthians. Those were letters written to a church in Corinth by Paul. You will then find the book of Ephesians, Philippians, Galatians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, First Timothy, Second Timothy, Titus, all of which are written by this man named Paul. Now, if you're here and you're new to the Bible and you say, well, Pastor, you said in your text, Saul, and then you're telling us about a guy that wrote letters named Paul. Can I just tell you something? Same guy. Same guy. Uh, and so this is why I tell this congregation today what happens in this particular passage in the book of Acts and all that unfolds in its few verses literally shape the rest of the New Testament. In fact, those books are not there without this segment of Scripture because this segment of Scripture shows us a key figure that then became even more prolific to this early church. Now, if you'll stay with me, I, I, I pray that God will help me to preach in a way that you understand. I am not the least bit interested in preaching. And you walk out of here and say, he was loud, but I didn't understand anything the man said. I would rather be calm and just, now, and I'm not going to be calm, I'll just tell you right now. But I would rather be understandable. And I believe that the Lord is going to help his word to be received in the hearts of all of us today. The first thing I want to share with you from this passage that has always amazed me is Saul or Paul. And I will use those interchangeably because it's the same individual. He first of all thought he was right. 
He did not go trying to shackle and imprison this early church because he was this rank sinner in his own eyes and thought, I just got to get back at someone. It's retribution time. No, Paul thought he was right. He was very religious. In fact, the scripture says that he was schooled by a rabbi by the name of Gamaliel. And if you do any study of Gamaliel, Gamaliel was known to be a scholarly man. So can I just say it in Tim Gaddy vernacular right now? Uh, Paul went to school. Paul went to Bible college (laughs) at a very prolific place where Gamaliel was teaching. When he was writing to other churches after this this seismic conversion in his life. Here's what he said of himself. He said, I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I am a Pharisee of the Pharisees. In other words, I've learned the scriptures. I have studied the Pentateuch, the first five books of scripture. And I am absolutely well-seasoned in those books. I know it frontwards and backwards. I know the law of Moses. I am a very learned man. Paul thought he was right, and he was going about his life thinking he was doing something virtuous and thinking that he was doing something right. We're going to uphold religious tradition. We're going to uphold what seems to be so obviously right. We're going to try to eliminate this sect of people that are claiming allegiance to this Jewish man named Jesus of Nazareth. We've got to restore right order. We cannot have this. He thought he was right. However, I want to make sure we understand this because this is key to every person in this room. This passage in Acts chapter number 9 is proof positive that one moment can change my life forever. Praise God. I want to say it again. One moment. One encounter with Jesus. One trip. One service. One prayer meeting. One baptism, one time of commitment, one moment, one season. It doesn't take a lifetime. We don't have to kind of kind of store it up and get good enough for God to touch us. He, in one moment, can do something in our life that will become a benchmark that we look back on it years later and say, I remember that Sunday morning. I remember that prayer that I prayed. I remember that action that I took. One moment can change a life forever. Oh, I want to stop here long enough just to say to every person in here, if just perchance you've ever thought, I wonder if it could ever get better, one moment can make a difference. I wonder if my family can get one moment in the presence of God. Just one time when Jesus comes down and something comes on us to let us realize he is for us, he's on our side, he's drawing us, one moment can make a difference. Oh, I believe there are people under the sound of my voice. You know what it is for God to touch you in a dramatic way. You remember the date. 
You remember the service. You remember the person that was praying with you. Isn't it amazing that this God of all glory and all eternity that spoke the world into existence cares enough for me to step down into my reality and touch me dramatically? Isn't that amazing? One moment. Everybody say one moment. One moment can change a life forever. Look at it in verse number three. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus. What's he doing? He's on his way to persecute the church. He's on his way to let them know you're out of bounds. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Everybody say one moment. There's something else that's unique about this passage that just jumps off the page at me. Conversion. Everybody say conversion. conversion. The word conversion is kind of one of those ethereal, mystical words. We've heard it. We've heard it talked about in churches before. Literally, the word conversion means to cause to turn. That's what the word conversion means. Uh, the scripture gives credence to this when it talks about be converted that your sins would be blotted out. Turn so that your sins will be blotted out. Conversion in Paul's life changed his posture. I want you to see this in your Bible. Look at verse number four. They'll put it on the screen. Light shone from heaven. That's verse three. Verse four. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now think about this with me. This man who believes he's right, this man that is full of himself believing that he is God's cop. Now listen, he must have had some integrity because he was authorized by the high priest to go to Damascus and imprison people. He wasn't just some scrub that they had pity on, he was authorized by the high priest. And he is boldly, straightforward, coming into that moment and ready to take no prisoners, but actually take prisoners. <laughs> and in a moment, the light shines from heaven and he goes from this To this. Now, let me just ask you a quick question. Which is more effective? This is not a trick question. I'm coming to get you. Is that more effective or is this more effective? I'm coming to get you. Because when God got a hold of him, it changed his posture. It changed him from an arrogant man that knew everything 
into a man that was laying on the ground hearing the voice of God talk to him. Can I tell you something? This is why sometimes when we come into the presence of God, this holy God that we worship, it causes us to want to get on our knees and cry out to him. Is that just something out of the, the ordinary? No, it's, it's this posture being changed by God. In order for me to get holy, I've got to realize my unholiness first. I've got to realize how much in need I am of God. It put Saul on the ground. His posture was changed but he became open to a radical conversion. This is why we ought not to push away. We ought not to push back when the Lord is saying, just come humbly to me. Because conversion does that. It changes our posture. Now, it also changed what he heard. He heard a voice from heaven saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You have to forgive me. We live in the social media day. This is a YouTube moment waiting to happen right here. I mean, think about it. He is boldly riding on the road to Damascus. He gets struck down off of a beast of burden by a great white, great light, and he's laying in the sand, and a voice is speaking to him from heaven. All the guys around him are probably looking at him like, what's up with Saul? This wasn't in the plan. Did anybody see this in the GPS coordinates here? Why is he making us late? He's laying on the ground. And yet Saul is having this encounter with Jesus Christ because the voice speaks back and says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now he's hearing God's voice. Now God has got his attention and humbled him to where he can speak to him and he's listening to what Jesus is saying to him. Let me say, let me just just bring it into 2021. The Lord Jesus wants to speak to us today. He wants to show us where we're at and what we need in our life. He wants us to hear his voice. It changed his posture. It changed what he heard. And then here's what Jesus said. Look at verse number five. He said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Is that, that's on the screen there. Now, I grew up, and in the church that I grew up in, we had, uh, uh, we used the King James Version Bible, and, and I still do. I use it a lot. And I'm reading from the New King James today, but in the King James Version of the Bible, uh, it says this, uh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? Why, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for you to kick against the pricks. And I remember as a boy reading that, and Sister Wendy, I would think, oh, man, sounds like God's getting all over him, but I have no idea what he's saying. And so I went to prayer one day when I really started studying the Bible, and, and I said, Lord, uh, there's this passage in Acts chapter number 9 where you tell Saul, Saul, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks, and I just need to know, what, what, what are you talking about? I'm responsible for now teaching the word of God, so I need you to help me. Show me what, what are you talking about there? And he said, go to the New King James Version. So I went to the New King James Version, and I read, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I know some of y'all are much more intelligent than I am, but I didn't do it literally, but I, I was like, Um, I don't mean to bother you, Lord, but 
is there another version we could go to? <laughs> and the Lord said, just, just study it out, Tim. And so I studied out a goad. You know what a goad is? Can this come off? I'll just, I'm just going to deconstruct this right now. No, I'm not. I'm just going to preach. You, can you tell this wasn't rehearsed? A goad is a long pointed stick. So just imagine this is a nice point right here. We'll use our imagination, shall we? And a goat is a long pointed stick. And here's what the Lord Jesus says to Saul laying in the, in the dirty dust on the road to Damascus while he strikes him down. He says this, Saul, it is hard for you to kick against the long pointed stick. And so I studied that out a little more. You know what a goat is used for? Oh, come here, Corey. I need your help for just a second. Can you just, just stand right here? Just stand right here. A goad was used uh, to urge on and direct a team of oxen. <laughs> now, you can study this out. I'm not making this up. Okay, I want you just to turn and face Brother Josh over there. And so as the, as the one in charge, if I want the oxen to go, I just take the goad and I just nudge him a little bit. And that is his clue, the oxen's clue, get going. And if I want him to turn left, I'll just kind of nudge him on the right shoulder. And just a little bit of pressure causes him to start turning left. And likewise, left shoulder, turning right. And so uh, this, 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 thank you, you can be seated. This beast. <laughs> Man, I was so anointed up to that moment right there. This beast who is so much larger than I am. So much more powerful in mass than I am. I can control him with a long pointed stick. And this is the imagery that Jesus uses to say to Saul, Saul, I've seen you from your birth. And what you don't understand is all during your life, when you were standing there when Stephen was being stoned and when you were uh, walking to get on the, the beast of burden to go to demand, all the while I've been trying to goad you in your life. I've been trying to touch you here and direct you here and guide you here. And what you have been getting really good at is kicking against what I'm trying to do. You're getting really good at saying, I don't need that, Lord. I don't want that, Lord. And Jesus comes right down in his business. And he says, it is hard for you to do that. You cannot keep that up. It's going to wear you out. It's going to stress you out. You're going to go to bed at night worried. Why? Because all in your life, you're kicking against what I'm doing. And you're kicking against my plan for your life. Let me just be bold right now and tell somebody in this room, the reason why life sometimes gets so difficult is we have this propensity in our flesh to kick against what God is wanting to do and push away what God is wanting to do. Hey, it's hard to do that. It's why we have sleepless nights. It's why we come into the presence of God and we get convicted and we want to act, we want to do something, we want to respond a certain way, but our flesh rises up. What is the Lord trying to do? He's trying to goad us. He's trying to impress us. And he never asks something of us to hurt us. 
it's hard. It's hard to kick against what God is trying to do in our life. And the Lord Jesus made it very clear to Saul, you're kicking and you're not, you're not doing what I want you to do. Now look at verse number six and here's what it says. So he, trembling, Saul, Paul, trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said, this is so awesome. Arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Now stop here long enough to with me right now. Brother Lambright, it's good to see you, sir. I just saw you and your sweet wife back there. Great to have you today. Great to have you. But watch this, watch this. Saul was riding to Damascus knowing what to do. But after Jesus got his attention, it changed his view of authority in his life. Because now no longer is he the one calling the shots. But now the Lord says, if you want to know what to do, you've got to go submit yourself to somebody and let them speak over your life and speak into you. You get up from where you are. You'll be led by the hand, and someone will tell you what you ought to do. Now, let me just tell you something. I'm, I'm going to give someone just a fair warning right here. This is the part of the sermon you'll probably get mad at right now. Because we think so often, including the guy with the microphone right now, that we're right and we've got it in control. But when it comes to Jesus Christ, when it comes to living for him, it is deeply rooted in submission. It is deeply rooted in not believing that I know the best way, but what does somebody else say about my life? I want to come under the submission of a word. Is this making sense to somebody? So I'll rise up, go in the city, and it will be told you what you must do. Because conversion changes, it absolutely changes our view of spiritual authority. Now, I'm going to come to a close, but I want to just share with you two more things. Um, fast forward from that moment. So Saul is, is blinded, and he's being led by the hand. Think about the, the unusual thing that happened there. He's in charge. He's large and in charge. He's on his way to Damascus. And now he's blind being led to Damascus. You think one moment can't make a difference? Now let's go into, into the city. And there's a guy named Ananias. And as far as we know, Ananias is minding his own business. We do not see him. We do not see him in a five-hour prayer meeting fasting six days in a row and just quivering in the presence of God. We just see him there. And the Lord speaks to him. And here's what the Lord says. Hey, Ananias. Yeah. I, I need you to do something for me. I want you to go to a certain man's house. And he begins to outline where this house is, who's the owner of the house. And when you go into that house, you'll see a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. And I want you to go in and I want you to pray for him that he might receive his sight. Now, if Ananias was not trembling under the presence of God at that moment, just wait for the Lord to drop that one on him. 
hey, I got an assignment for you to do. Uh, I need you to go to this house, and I need you to walk in, and the one that's putting people in prison and killing Christian believers, he'll be sitting right over across the living room from you there, and I want you to go up to him and pray for him that he might receive his sight. And Ananias did what all of us would do. He starts disqualifying the voice of God. But Lord, isn't it amazing how we ask the Lord questions that are just kind of silly? Do you not know? By the way, anytime we ask the Lord, do you not know? Whatever the rest of it is, 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 is bunk. Because he knows everything. Do you not know that this is Saul of Tarsus and uh, he's killing people and he's imprisoning people? And, and here's what the Lord says, and I want you to see this. This is in Acts chapter 9 and verse number 15. But the Lord said to him, said to Ananias, go. For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. God sees things that we can't even imagine. Let me tell you the battle that we're, we're having in this room right now is because there is a battle of insecurity and inferiority in so many people who can never see yourself beyond your faults and your failures. But can I tell you something? When it comes to conversion by the Lord Jesus Christ, God can see something in you, sir, and God can see something in you, ma'am, that you cannot even imagine in all of your days. You can't imagine what God could do and would do through our lives if we would simply yield to his word. Amen. Hey, he's going to bear my name before kings. He's a chosen vessel. And then Ananias gets up the gumption, goes to the house. He lays hands upon him. Saul receives his sight. By the way, the inference here is that he taught him because the Bible says he arose and he was baptized. Baptism is the natural obedient step to the word being declared. And then verse number 19, and this is the final verse that I'll say, bring to you today. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. You know what else conversion does? Conversion changes our perspective of our need for other people. Just think about this with me. and You have to just understand my brain, how it works, which is a little strange sometimes. He's on his way to Damascus to imprison disciples. And 18 verses later, he's spending time with the disciples. He's learning from the disciples. He becomes a mighty, mighty tool in God's arsenal. In fact, to become the apostle to the Gentiles. And all of us, if you're not a Jew, should thank God for that. Would you stand with me, please?
And I'm going to ask us not to move in and out right now because there's going to be some people in the next few minutes that are going to make some decisions about what Jesus is speaking to you and to me about. One of the things that I've seen over the years, and you'll just have to let me use a personal example that's kind of humorous, is over the years, and I just love the worship service today. It was powerful. I saw some people jumping up and down and dancing and enjoying the presence of God. Over the years, I've seen people that have come into the presence of the Lord in this type of environment. And I never will forget. I never will forget. Some of you remember Jason and Chastity Harper uh, used to be members of our church and moved to Texas a few years ago. And I remember the first time that they came. Uh, I won't get into this story. They actually came on accident. They thought they were going to another church, and they came to our church. And it was one of those services that had worship, kind of like we were having earlier today. And remember, they're here on accident, and they're sitting in their seats. Like, wondering, uh-oh, what's going to happen next? And um, so I'm not, that's just their example. But I've also talked to other people who have come into an atmosphere of worship and praise and, and the presence of God. And I've had people tell me, Literally, I've had people tell me to my face. Now, they said it nicely, but they said it to me. That's good for y'all. That's not me. No. I, I would never do that. I would never do that. And my response every single time is two words. Here they are. You ready? It's going to be good. Keep coming. <laughs> I was talking to someone recently, and I'll, I'll share this. Uh, someone said the other day, I was talking to my daughter, and she said, Dad, uh, don't you hate when you forget that you already said something? And I said, I do that all the time. It just happens to be in front of hundreds of people. So some of you have heard this before. I have a friend of mine that went to a spirit-filled church one time, and it totally freaked him out. And people are raising their hands and worshiping, and he's like, oh, I got to get out of here. Like, I really need to get out of here because it really freaked him out. But he said there was something kind of attractional about it at the same time. He kind of enjoyed what he felt. So he went back again, and he told the Lord, he said, Lord, I can't do this, but I'm going to keep my hands in my pockets. And I'm just going to open them wide in my pockets. <laughs> so he's just doing, you know, hands open wide. Everybody else, ah, you know. And then he realized that once he opened his hands in his pockets, the ceiling didn't fall in. And everybody didn't snap their head and look at him at the same time. So he just kind of. <laughs> You know, not really knowing what to do, but just, we're not going up here, my goodness. Come on, give me a break. But And he said he noticed something happened. Once he did it, it, it wasn't as hard the next time just to pull him out of his pockets. Keep coming. And so he told me, he said, I remember the day that I actually got up the gumption and the courage to go one hand 
elbow on the, the waist, lift one hand. He said, I'm not going all fingers, I'm just going two of them. Now, you, see, you think I'm making fun. I'm telling you what he told me. He just did a little wave. He said, it felt kind of good, you know? Like, maybe I was made for this. Like, maybe this is what God wants of me. And before long, he's got both hands up. Before long, he's got both hands up. This is why I say, if you and I today, listen, listen, I feel like I'm pulling for some souls today. If you and I will just keep coming toward Jesus, just keep coming toward Jesus, just keep walking toward Jesus, he can do in conversion what we can only imagine and beyond what we can imagine. So here's what I'm going to ask us to do. And this, this appeal right now is not for just members of this church. It's for everybody here. And we'll try to do this in a way that, that respects wherever you want to be with social distancing. And I know that's difficult in a crowd like this. But, but I want us just to respond right now in some form or fashion. And, and, and the way we like to do it a lot of times here is just slipping up to the front and having a time of prayer before we go home. And I would love the privilege to just pray over everybody that's here. It's just a symbol, just a response God, I'm hearing your word, and I want to be obedient to your word. I want to just do, do something to show God that I'm really hearing what you're saying. And so would you come, if you would like to, would you come and just slip up here and stand up here? Members, guests, you don't have to be a member here. We're just coming for prayer right now. We're just coming for prayer. We're just coming for prayer. That's it. Just come quickly, and we'll, we'll be dismissed here in just a few minutes. Oh, conversion can do some marvelous things in our life. Can do some marvelous things in our life. Sister Lindsay, let's just sing to the Lord before we pray, and then we'll go home in just a few minutes. That's it. Sing it. I've been healed. I've been forgiven. Oh, yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Grace and favor. Thank you, Jesus.
Jesus, over every person that's in this room. I speak the blessing of the Lord on our lives right now. Lord, the, the truth of the matter is you see every one of us right where we're at. You know us individually, Lord. We've come collectively as a church family today, but you know us individually, Lord. You know what brought us into this house today. So, God, I just speak life over every man and woman here. I speak your anointing over every teenager here right now, every young adult, every person that is close to you and those that are coming toward you, Lord. I pray that you will convert us, Lord. You will help us to turn toward you today. All throughout this week, Lord, let it be a turning. Let it be a coming to you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, the things that you will do in our lives, we can't even imagine what you have prepared for us. So Lord, we trust that there are no accidents here. There are no people here just by coincidence, Lord, but you have brought each of us here on purpose to be in your kingdom right now, to hear your word, and to be responsive to your word in the name of Jesus. I thank you for it, Lord. I give you the praise for it. I thank you for every good thing you're doing, God. I thank you for what you're doing in our English church. I thank you for what you're doing in our Spanish church, Lord. I thank you for what you're doing in our Bible studies, Lord. I thank you for all of your blessings that are helping us, Lord. How wonderful you are, Jesus. Draw us close to you. Draw us close to you, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Praise God. Before we go home, let me just ask a question. Is there anybody here right now, and I don't do this all the time, but is there anybody here right now, you would just like us to have special prayer for you, specifically you, before we leave here? Joe, is there anybody else, anybody that you just need some special prayer, just someone to agree with you in prayer for healing Annie? Jameer, all right, good, we got some. Just step up here if you would. Some of you gather around these good folks. We're just going to pray over them. The rest of you, uh, you can certainly stay with us and pray and, and stay as long as you would like. We're so happy that you've been at New Life today. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord let his face shine upon you. Amen. Let's be uh, respectful of those that are praying right now in this altar. We've got some folks that are going to join with us in prayer. Amen. We're so happy you've been here at New Life. May the Lord go with you in Jesus' name. You're dismissed whenever you would like. If you're ready to be baptized, if God's speaking to you about that, talk to us. We stand ready. We stand ready to baptize you today. Teach